I just want to add my word of welcome and gratitude as, uh, as Mark already extended uh, for all of us to be together. Uh, it's good to see everybody. It's good to worship together, think about things we've already thought about in song and prayer and uh, to be able to greet each other and uh, connect. You may be here for the first time today. If that's the case. We're really glad you're here and um, hope you're made welcome and let us welcome you. If you have any questions about anything that's going on, maybe just out of curiosity or maybe you don't know much about Christianity or the Bible, or it could be that you uh, you actually disagree in some way with what we're doing in terms of what the scriptures say. Uh, it would help us out a lot if you would talk to us about it so that we can talk about it and figure out what what's God's will so that we can always uh, be pursuing him the way we ought, not only in moments like this, but in every aspect of our life. That's what we're trying to do here. But that's not always easy to do, is it? Doing God's will pursuing what he wants for you. How often do you look yourself in the mirror spiritually or literally, whatever, maybe spiritually is literally. So in the, in the glass mirror, in the real mirror, either one. And you see, man, what is wrong with me? Jesus says, don't be anxious. I worry all the time. Jesus says, forgive those who mistreat you. And I can't let go of this grudge that I've been holding for years. And honestly, I'm not sure that I even want to let go of it. Jesus says, do unto others, you would have them do unto you. And I say, no way. We've gone down the line. And there's a part of you that says, I want to do the right thing. I want to be honest. I want to be kind. I want to be pure from all the stains of this world. But then you keep on doing the bad stuff. Stuff that you know, you can quote the verses, or at least you know vaguely what the rule is from Jesus, but then you keep on doing the bad thing. We all try different stuff. A lot of times we look uh, to the past. It's probably because of my upbringing, probably because of culture. That's probably why I am the way I am. You know, That may be a factor. We also look around us. How are people treating me? What's going on in society? What's going on in our world? What's going on in the economy? That's why I am the way I am. That probably has an impact to some degree. Did you notice what Jesus said in the reading that Mark just gave to us from Matthew chapter 15, which is part of a larger story, a larger conversation. Did you notice what Jesus said? Where all the bad stuff comes from, adulteries, murders, evil speaking, lying, all the bad stuff. Where does it come from? Does it come from my past and my upbringing? Does it come from everybody around me? Does it come from how much money I do or don't have? Or what? where does it come from? Jesus says, it doesn't come from outside of you. It comes from within. From the heart. He says it actually two times there in those verses to emphasize his point. In case you didn't catch me, Jesus says the first time, I'm telling you, your problem is not everything that you think is your problem. Your problem is your heart. And this accords with the Bible teaching throughout the scripture. In the days of Noah, when arguably human history was at its absolute low point, certainly up until that point, and probably even up until this day, what was the problem? Well, for sure, there are all kinds of things in the world. But what the text says in Genesis 6 and verse 5 is that every intent of the thought of the heart of mankind was only evil continually. That was the problem. The problem was with the heart. That's when we get to the book of Proverbs. The wise father tells his son, guard your heart because out of it flow all the issues of life. Whenever God saw people, he said, hey, this is a person who's doing what's right. What was it? Was it they never messed up? No, he said, that's a person after my heart. Or like Daniel who's there in Babylon with his young friends, he set his heart to do God's will. That was the key. Whether for good or for ill, everything comes from our heart. Now, when the Bible talks about our heart, I don't know that there's a verse that you can just point to and say, that's the definition of what we're talking about here. It's not talking about the organ that pumps blood throughout your body, although 
God uses that organ as the symbol of what he's talking about, of the essence of spiritual life, of the control center, because it's just like that organ that pumps blood through your whole body. If that thing stops beating, you're done. If that thing becomes diseased, your whole self is diseased. And God says, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the thing, you want to think about it as the control center of your life with God. Your emotions, your thoughts, your will, your attitudes, your decisions, everything is bound up in the heart. And what Jesus said is, if you want to know what's wrong with you, why you keep on giving in to sin, this is it. This is why he would say, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Whenever Jesus said, yes, murder is bad, and yes, adultery is bad, but you know what's just as bad? Anger and hatred, lust in your heart. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but store up treasures in heaven because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You get the point. This was what Jesus' teaching was all about, getting our heart right. But then we say, how's that going to work? How's that going to work? And really, Jesus' teaching is the culmination of what God had been talking about for centuries. And here's actually an important point. Jesus' teaching was your heart can change. You don't have to stay bad. You don't have to stay damaged. A lot of us think, oh, I'm just a prisoner to this. This is just who I am. Not true, Jesus says. The good news is you can have a new heart. And really, the teaching of Jesus about the new heart is the culmination of what God had been promising for centuries through his prophets. And I'd like us to look at one in particular today in the book of Ezekiel. So if you would turn me to Ezekiel chapter 11, and I'd like us to talk about the promise, God's promise of a new heart. Because that is the solution. This isn't something you just take a little medicine or you can kind of tweak a couple of things and then you are, your heart healthy. That may work for our physical hearts, but God's plan is a full reboot, a full replacement, not even a reboot. I'm going to give you a new heart, God says, and you'll be able to be what you always were meant to be in my image. I want us to talk about this in, in, uh, on two levels. First of all, uh, what, is, uh, what does it mean to receive a new heart? What's, what's, the, what's, the, what's the implications of my life? How does this impact my life? Or maybe we can put it this way, why is the new heart so important? Secondly, I want us to talk about a little bit tougher question, in some ways an easier one. How do I receive a new heart? Why should I uh, desire, pursue, seek after a new heart from God? And how do I gain that? Ezekiel wrote to people who had bad circumstances. They had bad ancestors. Everything was wrong all around them. And you can imagine a lot of them thought, what's wrong with us? Why are we in a mess? Why are we? And they would have lots of explanations, lots of reasons, just like we do. Here's what's our problem. But God says, just like he would always say, no, your problem is your heart. But I'm going to give you a new one. Read with me in Ezekiel chapter 11, in verse, starting in verse number 18. Ezekiel 11, verse number 18. Uh, he speaks of when he, he would gather his people together. We'll talk about more on that in a second. Ezekiel 11, verse 18, it says, When they arrive there, they will remove all its abhorrent acts and the detestable practices from that land. I will give them, and I'm reading from the CSB, which says integrity of heart. Yours may say something different. I hope yours says one heart. That's actually what the word is. Uh, I'll say more about that in a second. He says, I will give them one heart and put a new spirit within them. I will remove their heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh so that they will follow my statutes, keep my ordinances and practice them. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts pursue their desire for abhorrent acts and detestable practices, I will bring their conduct down on their heads. This is the declaration of the Lord. See what God says. Hey, the abhorrent acts, the sinful things, the wicked stuff, the bad stuff, it comes from their hearts. But I'm going to give you a new one. Now, this this language of I'll give you one heart, God says, um, that's 
could be the notion of all the people have the same heart. And that's certainly true. But another way to look at this is uh, to have a one heart or a singular heart or an undivided heart. And that may be why the translators here said integrity of heart. And that's, that, that's actually okay. One is the word, so let's use that. But the idea being you have one heart. You're not divided. You're not split up. God says, I'm going to give you one heart, a new one that's going to replace the heart that's been inside you that's caused you such a mess. Look at another text in uh, Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel 18. Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 30. Ezekiel 18 and verse 30. The Spirit says this. Therefore, house of Israel, I will judge each one of you according to his ways. This is the declaration of the Lord Yahweh. Repent and return from all your rebellious acts so that they will not become a sinful stumbling block to you. Throw off all the transgressions you have committed. Well, how am I going to do that? How am I going to stop sinning? Listen to what he says. And get yourselves, or you might say, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in anyone's death. This is the declaration of the Lord God. So repent and live. Turn away from the way you've been living. Turn away from what your heart has been for all this time so you can live. Notice this is a life and death kind of thing. Sometimes we think about spiritual life. It's like, ah, yes, you know, I should be good. I should be a good boy for God or a good girl for God and behave myself. And I, no, no, no. Notice the language. He says, you've got a heart of stone. Think about in your body. If you said your heart was now stone, what does that mean? Your heart, when it's alive, is active. It's moving. It's, uh, I mean, at least from all the doctor shows that I watch, it's pretty squishy looking. But what happens whenever you stops beating? It's a heart of stone. It's locked up. There's no life coming through it anymore. That's what that whole language of the heart of stone is. God's saying, y'all are dead. You've given yourselves over to sin and you've killed yourself through it. Let me give you a new one now. Let me bring you back. I want us to spend most of our time in Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37, where this promise is really unpacked. This promise of a new heart. This promise that God's I'm going to take out that heart of stone and give you a heart that's one, singular, for me, that's devoted to me in integrity. And you're going to have to be a part of this process. More on that in a few minutes. But this whole deal is to bring you back from the dead. You're lost, y'all. Lost in all your sins. But God says not forever. Ezekiel 36 opens with this picture of God talking to mountains, not people. If you look actually at the beginning of verse 1, go all the way down through verse 15, God never addresses people. He's just talking to the mountains. You might say, well, that's kind of strange. Why is God walking around in the mountains talking to them? Well, it's because these mountains were supposed to be filled with God's people. It was supposed to be the possession of God's people forever. But because of their sins, they've been taken away. And there were ruined cities, fields that grew no more crops, homes that had been broken down and burned because of the people's sins. And then the scene changes whenever you get to chapter 37. God's not in the mountains anymore, but he takes Ezekiel the prophet to a valley. Not any kind of valley, though. The valley filled with bones, dry bones, the text says. Where did all those people go? What happened to this land, these mountains that were supposed to be rich and teeming with life? All the people descended into death in this valley where all these bones were. And God has Ezekiel observe it. And he says, look, these bones represent the condition of my people. Dead, lifeless, hopeless. It's all over. Then God tells Ezekiel to speak to the bones. And as he speaks, the spirit of God comes over the bones. And it actually, the text says that they started shaking and rattling. And the bones started coming together. By the way, if you ever wonder if the Bible has horror elements, here you go. The bones start coming together. And they don't just end up as skeletons. 
they start growing back. And the text is very specific. The sinews, in other words, the inside muscles that hold the bones together, the cartilage starts growing back. And these bones that have been broken down and dead and dried up, hopeless and lifeless, start coming back together. And the muscles and the flesh start growing on it. And by the time Ezekiel's done speaking and the spirit of God moves over these bones, there's a grand army in this valley. Everything's changed. They had heart. They had spirit. They had life again because God had worked it. The promise of the new heart in action. You see it right there. Now, remember, we had two questions here about this whole promise of a new heart, this vision that God gives of new life, of starting over. What does it mean? If I get this new life from God, if he brings me back from the dead, if he gives me a new heart and a new spirit, what's it going to mean? By the way, chapter 36, in verses 26 and 27, actually starting 25, he says, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. Here's the promise right here in the middle of this. Those barren mountains where the people had been taken away and just left for dead in the valley, now they're back and they'll come back to their home. What does it mean? What does it mean for God to issue this promise of a new heart? I want us to read a little bit of a lengthy reading. I want you to listen to what God has to say. We're going to start in verse 22 of Ezekiel 36 and read to the end of the chapter. And I'd like you to notice, it may help you, by the way, a lot of this is very picturesque language. It helps you read along, please do. It helps you close your eyes and imagine these things. Do that. Either way, whatever, it's fine. This was oral when it was first given. It's going to be oral right now. It's written also. So either way you go, it's fine. But I want you to try to see what God's saying. Why is the promise of a new heart so special? What does it mean for the people who receive it? Ezekiel 36, verse 22. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, this is what the Lord God says. It is not for your sake that I will act, house of Israel, but for my sake, my holy name, which you profaned among the nations where you went. I will honor the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The name you have profaned among them. The nations will know that I am Yahweh. This is the declaration of the Lord God when I demonstrate my holiness through you in their sight. For I will take you from the nations. I'll gather you from all the countries and I'll bring you into your own land. I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people and I will be your God. I will save you from all your uncleanness. I'll summon the grain and make it plentiful and I will not bring famine on you. I will also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful so that you'll no longer experience reproach among the nations on account of famine. You will remember your evil ways and your deeds that were not good. And you will loathe yourselves for your iniquities and detestable practices. It's not for your sake that I will act. This is the declaration of the Lord Yahweh. Let this be known to you. Be ashamed and humiliated because of your ways, house of Israel. This is what the Lord God says. On the day I cleanse you from all your iniquities, I will cause the cities to be inhabited and the ruins will be rebuilt. The desolate land will be cultivated instead of lying desolate in the sight of everyone who passes by. They will say, this land that was desolate has become like the Garden of Eden. The cities that were once ruined, desolate, and demolished are now fortified and inhabited. 
then the nations that remain around you will know that I, Yahweh, have rebuilt what was demolished and have replanted what was desolate. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. And this is what the Lord God says. I will respond to the house of Israel and do this for them. I'll multiply them in number like a flock. So in the ruined cities will be filled with a flock of people, just as Jerusalem is filled with a flock of sheep for sacrifice during its appointed festivals. Then they will know that I am the Lord. What does it mean? The new heart people, what's their life going to be like? What's our life like and going to be like with the new hearts that God gives us? First thing this text points us to is that new heart people are gathered together, gathered home as a family. New heart people are gathered home as a family. Notice a few of these verses that speak to this and and try try to see the image. I don't know if this is special to you or not. Try to make it special. Try to see it. Try to imagine being in exile kicked out of your home, dragged away from your family, everything you've ever known, never loved. You have that? Do you have a place you love? Do you have a place that you feel safe and at home where you belong? This is my spot. Imagine being taken away against your will, taken far away with, frankly, no real prospects of ever being back. And not only being taken away from a place, but being taken away from your people, from, from your family, from those who love you and you love. And God says, that's what's happened to all of y'all, really. Because of your sin. But I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to gather you. Verse 24, he refers to this. From from the nations, however far you went, wherever happened, whoever took you away, I'm going to go grab you. I'm going to go find you. I'm going to bring you back. Verses 33 through 36 hit this uh, especially. And I love the way it pictures this gathering to home is not gathering to a place that's vulnerable. It's a place that's fortified, strong. It's not a place that's desolate where you're going to feel lonely and sad and all alone and not sure. No, it's an inhabited place. A place that was broken down and messed up is built back up into what it was meant to be from the very beginning. New heart people are gathered home as a family to live in a place that's restored. And did you notice the language that's used? Uh, Help me. It's in verse 35. People are going to look around and say, this place is like Eden. The perfect place. The place that, and if you're not a Bible reader, go read about the Garden of Eden. And then you realize, wait a second, every place I've ever liked being, every place I ever imagined being, every, pl- every place I felt whole, it was kind of like that place, Eden. That's the place, God says. I'm going to gather you home as a family. And if you actually, if you notice in chapter 37, again, this promise really uh, uh, leaks over into chapter 37. They're really one story as a whole. Look at verse 21 of chapter 37. This is after Ezekiel sees the vision he he sees about the bones and all that kind of stuff. In verse 21, it says, tell them this is what the Lord God says. I'm going to take the Israelites out of the nations where they've gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them into their own land. I'll make them one nation. Can you imagine that? One nation. People from all nations that become one family. One king will rule over all of them. Verse 22 continues. They'll no longer be two nations and will no longer be divided into two kingdoms. They will not defile themselves anymore with all the bad stuff that they've gotten, all they've sinned. Verse 24, my servant David, speaking about Jesus, by the way, will be king over them. And there will be one shepherd for all of them. They'll follow my ordinances and keep them. They will live in the land that I gave to my servant Jacob where their fathers lived. They will live in it forever with their children and their grandchildren. And my servant David will be their prince forever. The end of verse 26 says, I will establish them and multiply them. You guys have, who have kids, grandkids. 
Some of y'all, they're far away. Some of you are kids or grandkids and you're far away. How do you feel about that? Maybe some of y'all are like, actually, it's kind of nice, but but not really. Every once in a while, you might look like a little space, but you sit back sometimes and you miss the people you love. Even if you don't have good uh, family in terms of blood kin, you got your people, you got your crew, you got your family, the children, the grandchildren that you are to others and that they are to you. You miss them. You long for them. God says, let me give you a new heart so that you won't have that anymore. So you can be a part of something so that you can live a life where you'll be gathered home, family, under the rule of the kingdom of God. Go back to chapter 36. Notice the next uh, reality. Why is this so special to get a new heart? Why should I want this? Why is this the desire? Why is this something I should be thankful for whenever God gives it to me? Number one is because new heart people are gathered home as a family to live in the kingdom of God. But number two, new heart people receive cleansing and salvation from their sins. Verse 25, I will also sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and all your idols. Verse 29 echoes largely the same thing. I will save you from all your uncleanness. Keep on going down in the text into verse 31. You will remember your ways and your deeds. Now, I don't know about you, but you read all this cleanness, salvation. That sounds really good. And maybe let's just stop right there for a second. Remember the last time you were super dirty? And I don't mean sinful, although if you want to think of that, it's fine. But I mean physically. You... It wasn't even other people had to tell you you stank. You knew you stank. You were dirty. You were messed up. You had you had been out, maybe working, striving, maybe had fallen into whatever. Dirty. What's that feeling like? Right, so I'm going I'm to tell you my dirty story. Um, a few years ago, several years ago now, we went to Sierra Leone. And uh, when, when we were uh, going through Brussels, I'm going to see if I can get this right. The uh, The Swiss bagging company that had been contracted out by the Brussels airport was on strike and our French airline wouldn't help us out. And we were like, wait a second, we're going to Africa for like three weeks. And you're telling us our bags just, they're like, yeah, this happens. My brother, y'all got to get a hold on this. This is bad. Okay. So we got on our flight. And uh, as I recall, I was wearing some kind of like just regular pants. I don't know. I do remember I had a white t-shirt. And I say had, because by the end of that trip, it was not white anymore. Because while we were there, we're riding around on basically dirt bikes, on basically dirt roads through a lot of places, walking around every day. Every night, we get in the shower and wash, shower with our clothes on to be able to clean them off and then wash them after and all that kind of stuff. Here's the point. We were dirty, y'all, the whole time. Just dirty. You know that feeling whenever you clean off. That's a whole different thing. You know what I mean? God says, I know you're dirty, except your dirty is not from the outside. It's from within. I'll give you a new heart. I'll sprinkle clean water on you. I'll wash you up. I'll clean you up. I'll make you what you ought to be. But the thing I love about the, the cleansing that God promises, the salvation from our, clean, our uncleanness that God promises, sometimes we think about, okay, I need to be cleansed because I have this thing that prevents me from coming to God. I have something, because I'm dirty in my sin, I'm not allowed to come. And that's true. That's actually very true. God sets that up through our scripture. But notice starting in verse 31, God says, actually, I'm going to cleanse you from even more than just the effects of your sin, right? You sin, you're dirty, you're unclean through your idolatry and your wickedness and your mistreatment of other human beings, all these kinds of things. You got all these problems, and I'm going to clean you up from that so that you can belong with me again. But starting in verse 31, he says, I'm going to do even more than that. You will loathe yourselves. 
Now, it doesn't mean they're going to hate their essence. What he says is you're going to love yourself because of your sin. In other words, your attitude towards sin will be changed. The promise of a new heart isn't just you get the effects wiped away, but your whole attitude and perspective, that stuff that you love, that sin that meant so much to you, that idol that you thought would save you. God says, I'll clean you up from that. When I give you a new heart, you'll look at that thing and say, ah, how did I do that? How could I want that? That's not what I'm looking for. Have you experienced that, by the way? When you walk with Jesus, I'm not saying every second of every day because the devil still tries to get in there and mess with that new heart. But you know what I'm talking about. Where you look back on things, you say, you know, I used to thrive on this. This used to be what gave me life. You didn't know it was actually the thing that was killing you. But whenever God gives you a new heart, you say, actually, I can't believe I did that stuff anymore. I hate that. I hate who I was back then. I didn't want to be a part of that at all. God says, that's the beauty of it. Let me give you a new heart. I'll clean you and save you from all your iniquities. The same thing is largely stated in chapter 37 and verse 23. God's promise is cleansing and salvation for those with a new heart. Third thing this text teaches us that new heart people receive. New heart people are those who produce to the full. The Bible uses so much agricultural language. Sometimes it's a little lost on us. Uh, but if you think in terms of uh, produce or productivity, I think it's something that's, that's quite resonant to us. Uh, verses 29 and 30 speak to this. I'll save you from your uncleanness. I'll summon the grain and make it plentiful and will not bring famine on you. I'll also make the fruit of the trees and the produce of the field plentiful. He skips on down later and he talks about this a productivity that will be a multiplying kind of thing. It's not like you just produce a little bit. But he says you multiply like a flock. I don't spend much time around sheep, but y'all know how those animals do. They're just more and more of them. And they just make more and more. And they're just always coming out with more animals, whatever kind they are. Here he speaks about sheep in particular. God says, I'll make you a, a multiplying force. Look over at chapter 37. We've got some, uh, some imagery here in verse 25. 37 and verse 25. They will live in the land that I gave where your fathers lived. They will live in it forever with their children and grandchildren. Remember that a second ago? There's going to be more and more of you produce to the full, complete fullness. Do you get frustrated with how empty things get sometimes? How empty it gets when you're working on your job or when you're striving in some relationships or some friendships to make this thing work or make it meaningful to yourself. And so many of us even chase these things. If it's another job, that will make me have a sense of fullness. If I get into another relationship, that'll give me fullness. Or if I go to another place, that'll give me fullness. No, it won't. God says the key to this is that you let me give you a new heart so that your life will produce to the full, that you'll multiply, that you won't just be limited in what you can get in this world with that heart of stone. Take that thing out. Let me give you a new one, God says, so that your life will be full, multiplying more and more all the time. Last thing that this text teaches us about the meaning of the new heart promise. If you look in verse 28, excuse me, chapter 36 and verse 28. The promise that God's always coming back to throughout scripture. You will live in the land that I gave your fathers. You will be my people. And I will be your God. Chapter 37 and verse 23. I will cleanse them. And they will be my people and I will be their God. Verse 27, my dwelling place will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people when my sanctuary is among them forever. And the nations will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel. 
over and over and over and over, God says this promise, not only in this text, but all throughout the Bible. You know what the real reason why we need this thing? The real reason why this thing has to matter to us is so that we'll belong. So many of us strive for belonging. We have parades to celebrate our sense of belonging. We, we try to identify ourselves with different groups or, or movements or activities to have a sense of belonging, that I'm somebody's and I'm somebody to something that matters or someone that matters. God says, none of that's going to work with all the ways you're trying to do it. You're trying to let all these things give you a sense of belonging, that you are its and it is yours and that makes your life matter. God says, stop it. Let me give you a new heart. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I'm meek and lowly in heart. I'll give you a new one. I'll give you a heart for me, and I'll have one for you. I will be your God, and you will be my people. I, the creator of the whole universe. I, the one who knows all and is all. I, the one who's full of wisdom. I, the one, the one who brings about life out of death. I will be your God and you, sinner, you, foolish one, you, rebel, you will be my people. That's what this promise of a new heart is all about. Look, it's great to have this imagery of the idea of being gathered home as a family in God's kingdom. It's wonderful to imagine just the, the complete, and for some of us, thank God, it's not even imagination. It's the relief and the comfort and the peace and security of being cleansed saved from our sins, not only the effects of it, but even our attitude toward it. That's beautiful. And it's amazing to have a life where you're like, my life matters. I'm producing. I'm multiplying. Things are happening in my life. My life has significance and fullness. But I'll tell you, if we had all of that, it would mean nothing. Nothing. But at the end of the day, God said, I brought you to a safe inhabited place. I've cleaned you up from all your sins. And your life is full of all kinds of teeming with life. But I cannot be your God. And you cannot be my people. All those things would be nothing. But for this one promise. And he says, I will do it. I'll give you a new heart. And did you notice at the beginning of our reading in chapter 36, that is the emphasis God makes. He says, hey, y'all get one thing straight. It's not because of you that I'm doing this, all right? It's because of my holy name. I'm going to do it, in other words. You can be sure of that. I'm going to prove to all who I really am as your God. That's why this promise matters. That's why we need new hearts. That's why we got to strive for the new heart that God promises that would come through his servant David, the son of David, Jesus our King. But now how do we get it? I, I, I tell you, I don't know. God help me. My guess is I probably muted even some of the beauty of this stuff. But y'all know, you read through these scriptures I hope this captivates you. I hope this makes you think, man, this is what it's all about. Every other thing, I can't do anything else or want anything else than a new heart from God to have one heart for him. I got to repent of everything else and just turn. This is what it's all about. I hope God captivates you with these things. But then you sit back and wonder, how do I do it? How do I get a new heart? Because it's actually a little strange. You notice in these texts we read, even in Ezekiel, uh, this passage, for instance, and the one in Ezekiel 11 really sounds like, God just says, hey, I'm ripping out the bad one, plugging in a new one. Bang. I'm just going to do it. But then in Ezekiel 18, remember what the Lord said? Make yourselves a new heart. So how does that work? Is it that uh, God just gives me a new heart or do I get myself a new heart? Which one? How? Because apparently it's both. God says both. 
how does that interact together? Before, and by the way, if you want to turn to John chapter three, we're going to go there to uh, finish out with just a couple of thoughts in John chapter three. I, I want to start with this though, before we really get to the, how that works, how is it that God gives us a new heart and we ourselves get ourselves or make ourselves a new heart? The truth is both of these ideas that God gives you a new heart as well as you make yourself a new heart. Both of these are pretty difficult uh, to understand. And actually the whole concept of a new heart and a new spirit is pretty hard to embrace. Because what we're talking about is starting over with a whole new life, a whole different thing than what we've been before. A lot of us really want to come to God and be like, God, I know I've got some sin problems, but I, you know, I've actually got a good thing going here. And if you could just fix the bad stuff, I want to keep on this path. Over. And God says, no, you're dead, dried up bones. We got to start all over. We're throwing the whole thing out and building from scratch. That's the only way all these beautiful things can come true. It's difficult to repent, to do the work ourselves, to turn away from our evil, because we don't really think we're all that evil a lot of times. We think we're actually okay, just a couple little problems. We have to learn to turn from what we've become. I kind of like what I've become. Or at least, even if I don't like what I've become, I'm comfortable with it. I know what I am. I know who I am. So it's kind of a scary prospect to repent, to turn away from my stony heart and to turn back to God. But God calls us to embrace the necessity of the promise of a new heart. Some of us may not have as much problem with that, but we have a bigger problem with, I don't think it's even possible. The bad roots run too deep inside of me. The sins have gone too long in my case. And so for us, uh, for some of us, the problem isn't the necessity. Like I've got to pursue this. this is important, but it's the reality. Is it even possible that I could receive a new heart? Jesus spoke about this. In John chapter three, he doesn't use exactly the same language, although I think you'll notice he uses some echoing language of exactly what's in John three. And he's some of the same issue starting over. There was a man who came to Jesus. He was an older man, highly respected in the religious community. Jesus even calls him a teacher of Israel. He was a member of the ruling council of the Jews. His name was Nicodemus. And he came to Jesus and he wanted to talk religion. He wanted to talk theology. He said, teacher, we know that you're from God, for no one can do the things that you do unless God has sent him. And Jesus cuts through all the pleasantries, isn't interested in the flattery or in the theological theory talk. And he says, unless a man is born again, cannot enter the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Nicodemus responds in a strange way. But before we get that, I just want to pause. You notice born again, new heart, new spirit. We're talking about the same thing. Right? Matter of fact, Jesus is later going to refer to the being born again by water and the spirit. You remember how God said they would receive the new heart in Ezekiel? I will sprinkle clean water and I will give you my spirit. We're having the same conversation right here. And Nicodemus responds in verse four. He says, how can anyone be born when he is old? Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Now, maybe Nicodemus was just a dum-dum and he didn't. He was just like, whoa, this is strange. I don't understand. That's possible. I actually don't think so. I think Nicodemus knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Whenever Jesus said, you got to start over, you got to be born again. 
And Nicodemus says, okay, cool. You're going to go with that analogy? I'll see you in an analogy. I'll raise you one. How can you start over when you're old? How can you start over? How can you receive a new heart and a new spirit? How can you be born again when you've already gone so far down the path? When you've already become something that you are? How could you ever do that? Now, Jesus doesn't play around with Nicodemus. He ends up saying to him, he says, are you really the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? Now, maybe Jesus' point is, you should be able to think this through. I don't think so. I think Jesus is saying, have you not read Ezekiel 36? You should know this. God's been talking about this forever. Bringing about new life out of death. This is what God's whole program is about, Nicodemus. How do you not understand this? He points Nicodemus both to the necessity. You must be born again. you got to repent. you got to turn away from your ways. You must be born again. And he points him to the reality. This is what happens. You don't know how the wind blows. That's how the spirit of God works. The wind's blowing, though, and the spirit of God is moving. God gives life out of death. You've got to decide if you're going to believe it or not. So how did Jesus convince Nicodemus? How did he convince him that this new heart and new spirit to be born again? Or, by the way, that word again, strange thing. I know in English it doesn't have anything to do with it. But actually, in Greek, that word can mean either again, as in a repetitive thing, or from above. Kind of like God said, it's not going to be from you. It's going to be from me. How? Verse 14. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. How? How do we receive a new heart and a new spirit? How are we to be born again? How are we to start over? Not in moving to a new city or getting a new job or breaking up and getting somebody else or divorcing and finding another spouse or all the things that human beings say, this is what will fix me. No, Jesus says, it's not the things that are outside that are your problem. It's what's within. It's your heart. And the thing that's going to fix that is not any kind of gritting your teeth and just trying to get through it. It's the love of God. That's how. The love of God is what shows us the necessity of a new heart. If God had to invest, sacrifice, relinquish, give up his one and only son, God gave up his son. If that's how much it took, how necessary is this, y'all? We have to repent. We have to turn away from our ways if this is what's at stake. That's how much it means to God. His love proves to us, you've got to do this. You've got to turn away from your old stony heart. You've got to turn away from your idols and your uncleans. All the stuff you use to try to give yourself life, try to shock yourself back to life, to pump breath into you. It's not working. Give it up. Look at my love, God says. Does that not show you how necessary this new heart and new spirit is? The love of God also shows us how real this promise is. How is it possible that I could have a start over, that I could get a new heart and a new spirit to turn away from all the things that are so wrong and so damaged to me? When I look myself in the mirror and say, what's wrong with me? How can I not get through this and get past this and overcome this? God says, well, 
You didn't, and you won't. But I did, and I will. Look to the cross. Look at my love. If I loved you like that, do you think I did that, hoping and praying that maybe it would work out? No. God did it so that everyone who believes in him will, will, not maybe, not let's see, fingers crossed, will not perish, but will have everlasting life. I don't know. I, actually, I do know this. A lot of us sit around and we really don't believe that we can ever forgive, that we can ever learn to be truthful, that we could ever overcome our anger, that we could ever stop lusting, that we could ever overcome our anxiety, that we could ever, I just don't think it's possible. And if those things are what it takes to, to live with God forever, then I'm just not going to live with God. It's not for me. It is. It is. God said, it's not because of you that I'm doing this. You look at yourself and say, because of me, it's not going to work out. God says, you are not the one at stake. It's my holy name that I'm working for. It's my purposes. It's my goodness. Look at my love and know that I'll see it through. I'll see you through. I'll bring you home, gathered with the people as a family. I'll clean you up and save you from all your uncleanness. I'll make you produce to the full, multiplying. Your life will matter more than it ever mattered before, fuller than it's ever been full before. I will be your God and you will be my people. And the way I'm doing it is through the love I've shown you in my one and only son. With that in mind, we're going to transition now to think about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the death that he's died for us. We're going to sing a song. And I want you to think about these things. And I want you to look inward. Um, there'll be other thoughts for sure that you'll be thinking about as we take the bread and the cup. But I want you to look inward and think about, do you believe? Do you believe? Some of us have not believed or not as we should. Let's let today be the day that we believe in the promise of a new heart in the love of God.